Lord Jesus, we thank you for your parables. Uh, in it, we learn uh, a lot about ourselves. We also learn about you. And we pray that our eyes would be open to who you are in our lives. Uh, even now, uh, though these things took place 2,000 years ago, uh, you speak to us today. And with grateful hearts, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 1 through 16. Anybody want to read that for us? Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. In the Maroon Bibles, it's page 825. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll read. What is it again then? Chapter, are you sure? Maybe we should pick somebody else. Um, chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for an areas day, a day, he sent them to into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing out on the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Mm -hmm. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Great. Um, this is a parable uh, about, uh, most people call it the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, and it is a, a really crazy and remarkable story on, on a lot of uh, levels. And uh, as you see, if you look in your Bibles, what does it say right before the number 20? What's, what's the italicized thing right there? What's it say? Anybody? No, 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 the, uh, the little heading before you get into chapter 20. There you go. There you go. Right. Uh, so when you read this, automatically, whoever, and it's so funny, I would challenge you. So if you read the New Testament in, in Greek, which that's not what I'm challenging you to do because it's, it's really hard and, um, and there's no punctuation. And, but there's no, it's no, again, announcing the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It, so somebody at some point in time, some editor decided to, to give it that. And whether we like it or not, or whether we even acknowledge it or not, it, it does something psychological to us, right? So when we when we read it, clearly if it says laborers in the vineyard or the parable of the workers in the vineyard, uh, what's our focus going to be? The workers, right? That, so let's pay attention to the workers. And yet, it's pretty clear from what Jesus is saying that the object, the focus of this parable ought to be the master, right? The guy who's going out and doing the hiring. And 
it's a crazy story because you've got this guy who's the master and he's going out and picking up these day laborers and uh, and then at the end of the day he decides to pay them and he starts with the guys who started last and honestly maybe worked an hour uh, and then how much does he pay them a denarius right which is actually uh, it's a monetary unit in the Bible but it's also it was that was the designated living wage right a denarius is how much a laborer got paid in a day and so that was uh, they got paid that and then as they go on everybody gets paid the same even though some people worked an hour and some people worked 12 hours a full-on day and um, and then it's fun to watch the reaction of the people who um, who get paid last who were the first to start working well um, a couple funny things about this story, and we'll get to this at the end, but you notice that the story doesn't end. It just stops. We don't actually know uh, what the last word is um, and what the people are saying to Jesus or to the master when the story stops. I mean, whether they're still complaining or what. Uh, and it really is meant to sort of hold it out there. Like Jesus does this in several parables, one that we've gone over a lot uh, Jill. The parable of the prodigal son. Remember how that ends? The father says to the older son, come into the party. And then it just stops, right? He does, we, so we get left with this open-ended story of, does the older son go in? Right? Do, do, what, what happens? We never know. And we don't know what happens actually here at the end uh, of the story, except for the master's words, but it still leaves it uh, open-ended. Well, it's actually not too hard for us to imagine this parable taking place today. Um, if you've ever been uh, to Home Depot or Lowe's or someplace like that early in the morning, normally gathered in one spot, who do you find? Day laborers, Day right? And, and they're there, and uh, as is often the case, there are more of them than there are jobs. So they, um, they have gathered, and it's still a big Middle Eastern thing. If you go to the uh, Damascus Gate in East Jerusalem, uh, it's still a big place. They line the roads, and what happens is somebody will pull up in a truck who is looking to hire people, and you'll run out, they'll run out into the road, find out how many workers they need, and then they'll jump in the back of the truck, and then they'll head off to the job site. And that way they know that they have a job for at least a day. Maybe it's a big project, and they do a good job on the first day. They might be held over. Uh, but it's a pretty desperate situation. It's a, it's a desperate life, right? You, you wake up in the morning and you go down to Lowe's or Home Depot or the Damascus Gate and um, you, don't, you don't know if you're going to work. Right? You don't know what's going to happen. You hope you're able to work. You hope that there's a job for you, uh, but you really, you, really don't, you really don't know. And uh, as is often the case, um, uh, most of the people are, are simply left behind. And so get there early, you get out in the road, uh, you make the transaction, and, uh, and that is um, the situation here. Now this guy is the master of a vineyard. He owns a vast estate, and he has this vineyard. And we don't know what the job is, like, hey, I need you to come prune my grapes or you know or whatever we have no idea why the guy needs these day laborers because he has hired help right he's got a big estate he's got staff um, but he still needs day laborers but this guy is the 
maybe the most inefficient hirer of people on the face of the earth. Because most people, what happens is, you go in the morning, you already know how big the job is, and you know how many people you need to hire, and then you get those people, and then what do you do? You go to work, right? You, you go to work, you supervise them, you, you make it all happen. But this guy goes, they do some work, and then what does he do? He goes back, right? He goes back to Home Depot, right? We don't know, like it, there's, it doesn't say, but the grapes were many, right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't say that, or, or thou's branches were especially leafy. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't say anything like that. It just says, um, after agreeing with the laborers, well, let's just stop for a minute. So he gets these guys right out of the gate. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, which is the going rate, right? No one's working for less than a denarius a day. But you have an upfront agreement. They have this agreement, and he sent them into his vineyard. And going about the third hour, right, he goes back to Home Depot, which at this point is kind of creepy, right? Who is the guy, you know, didn't he just come through here and he's just kind of scouting it out? And he goes back, and here's our clue, he goes back the third hour and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you, right? Whatever is just. Because remember, now what we're dealing with are guys who know they're not going to get a full day's work in, right? They, they didn't get drafted the first round. So they're just kind of sitting around. And, uh, and this is true, too. If you, the time when you see day laborers at hardware places, um, you pretty much see, you almost never see them after lunch. Right. If they don't have a job by lunch, they kind of call it quits. But here, third hour, you're getting into, so it was about sunup when the other guys went. Third hour, you're looking at about 9 o'clock. So at about 9 o'clock, he sends some others into the vineyard and says, whatever is right. And at this point, these guys are thinking, fine, something's better than nothing. At least I'll get, it might not be a denarius because I'm not getting a full day's work in, but, but hey, something's better than nothing. Agreed. And so they went. And then it goes out about the sixth hour, lunchtime, noon. And at the ninth hour, right, two o'clock, he does the same. What is wrong with this guy, right? I mean, can he just not make his mind up? And at this point, I mean, he uh, just go into the vineyard. It's probably getting a little bit crowded at this point. And, um, and then uh, he even gets to the point where um, he goes back about the 11th hour, which is, we're talking five o'clock, right? Right before the sun goes down. The 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. All right. So I want you to think about this crew. It's five o'clock. Why are they still there? I mean, think about it. If you're desperate financially, and you got a wife and kids, um, wouldn't be real excited to go home, right? And tell your wife, I didn't get a job today. Maybe tomorrow will be better. And so these guys are just dreading the prospect of going home. And they're just there with one another. And when the time finally comes, they'll, they'll go home. And they're idle, not because 
they're sitting around playing Chinese checkers at the Damascus Gate. They just they don't have work. They don't have work, and, and they're, they're seated. Because in the morning, nobody is sitting down. Everybody's standing up because they want to get in the route, into the road to, to get a job. But these guys are totally and completely dejected uh, and, and just beyond desperation, uh, really without hope. And yet even these guys, with an hour left before the sun goes down, basically, he says... Um, Where does he say? Uh, you go into the vineyard too. And there's no negotiation for price at that point, right? They're, okay. Like if I'm bringing home a dollar, it's better than bringing home nothing. So they they go uh, in into the vineyard. So um, why um, why does the master keep going back to the day laborer station? Right? So there's no indication of, of work. But what the scripture points to is he keeps going back to see if anybody is there. Which means his motivation is actually compassion. He wants to see everybody working, having a job, being able to get paid. Right? He, he sees their condition, and it's compassion that drives him back over and over again. And even to the point where nobody goes looking for someone to hire at 5 o'clock because everybody's typically gone home. But for him, he goes to see if anybody's left simply to show them mercy and compassion and to give them a job. Right? Which, in their mind, is their salvation. It's, it's their livelihood, literally speaking, um, from day to day. But... So they all go back, and they're working. And things seem to be going along well. And everybody's pretty happy. And um, now, here's something funny. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, where in the heck has the foreman been the whole time? Right, my man, he's the master of the vineyard. He's He's got a huge, vast estate. It's not his job to go down and hire people. It's not his job to go down and do that. But because he's compassionate and merciful, he does it. He actually gets himself dirty and does the work of the foreman because of the way that he feels about these guys who are in a desperate place. So the foreman finally shows up uh, on the scene. And uh, he's not really an important character, but it just draws attention to the fact that the master was the one going after the day laborers. And he says to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Well, this is counterintuitive. And the reason why the master has to say this to the foreman is because if the foreman were to do it his way, the paymaster would, the first people who came in, they would get paid first. Because theoretically, how should they get paid? What's that? Right, whoever worked the longest, right, they, they get their denarius, and whoever came in about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, right, they, they're a little prorated. You know, I'm sure he had like a little sliding chart, you know, to kind of figure it all out. And, uh, and, and that, that was what was expected. And yet the master tells the foreman, um, this is what I want you to do. I, I want you um, to, um, to call the last ones first and pay them their wages. Okay. Now, whenever the Bible talks about wages, 
A wage is, what's a wage? Right. So, so, like, if I mean, all of y'all work, I think. Um, uh, and if you don't, I'm sure you have a good reason. Um, you can go to Home Depot, maybe get a job. I'm just kidding. Um, but now, uh, I mean, so let's say, uh, I mean, I don't know what uh, you may be a student. I don't know, Gail. Let's talk about your job, okay? Uh, Gail, what do you what do you do on a day to day basis? That's that's very well, and you've lost your voice. That's ironic. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't pick on you. Okay, so you're a speech pathologist, and uh, and you um, you get paid for that, right? And um, and at the end of of the two week cycle or the week, however you get paid, direct deposit, I'm sure, um, you money shows up in your account, and um, and it's kind of a run of the mill thing because at the end of two weeks, you expect to get paid for the work that you've done, right? And if they didn't pay you, how would you feel? Right, you actually, because you've been gypped, right? You earned a paycheck, right? That's a wage. So um, a wage is something that you've actually earned, what you've got coming to you, right? You've earned it. So we're remodeling a house. If um, uh, Gus, who is our painter, he's going to paint the house, and when he's finished, um, if he does a good job, uh, put that out of your mind, that little citation, because that doesn't work in this parable. But... Um, <laughs> It's works-based righteousness in my house. But uh, if Gus Gus finishes his job, he he gets paid. And if I try to get out of it, he's rightfully going to be ticked. So the master says uh, to the foreman, um, call the laborers and pay them their wages, what they've earned, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, remember these are the most desperate guys, each of them received a denarius. Imagine how they felt. How they feel. Right. Um, the, the, eleven, the guys who just worked an hour just received 12 hours worth of money. Not one twelfth, but 12 hours worth. Um, I don't know about your boss, uh, but very rarely do I say, does someone say, Andrew, um, you've not worked as much this week as everybody else, but I want to pay you 12, uh, I'm going to pay you a lot of money. You know, here's a little bit of extra for, for your lack of effort. Um, it never happens, right? It nev- It almost never, ever happens. Uh, I mean, there are times when people are, are graceful and, you know, I've heard stories and have experienced this too, where, you know, you might leave a waitress an exorbitantly large tip or, or something like that. But those are extraordinary stories. And, and, and so, uh, so is this. So these guys are like, they don't say anything. They're like, we better get out of here. <laughs> right? All right. This, but this is, this is huge. So I mean, they get. To, I mean, from going home and being empty-handed to the wife to now going home and being like, "I worked an hour, and I got paid for a full day. I need to learn to manage expectations a little bit better." All right. So, um, so they get paid for a full day's worth of work, and then now when those who so everybody um, gets paid that, uh, and. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Why? It's the way it's supposed to be, right? How would you feel? And like, think about this is a terrible job. So think about, I don't know about you, but in the summertime, 
my mom thought it was really smart to do it this way. But you know when parents would stick their heads in the room when you were on summer vacation and be like, all right, I want you to do this, 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 and this, and you're still half asleep, and you're like, all right, I got it. And of course you're not going to remember. I don't know why parents ever thought that you could remember that. But um, we would always get these awful jobs in my house. Like, I mean, no joke. I need you to move the gigantic pile of cinder blocks from behind the shed to the front of the driveway to be picked up. And the wheelbarrow has a flat tire. So it was like every summer day was an episode of MacGyver in our house. And, um, and it was just... It was just crazy, just crazy. My dad like just loved stuff like that. And so what normally would happen is that in our house, like most people like to sleep in in the summer. As soon as the sun came up, we beat feet out of the house. We just hid. Like I can remember when I was my brother putting on his shorts, running out the door uh, and running down the driveway, just hiding, just going where we can go before dad could get to us. But so. But there were times when we got caught, and and it was moving cinder blocks. Um, there was always something to do in in the yard. Um, I remember they wanted to add onto the porch once, and the auger was broken. We were in high school, and I called Dad, and I was like, Dad, the auger is broken. We can't. And he's like, You got hands? We got shovels. Dig <laughs> dig the footers. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh. So so I remember doing that, and I and I had a youngest brother who was a total slacker. Christopher, he was the kid who mom would say, weed the front flower beds today. And then being the diligent older brother, about five, almost six years older than he is, I'd go back through. And he'd do a terrible job, just a terrible job. And I'd say, Christopher, you, he's like, yeah, maybe I won't get asked again. You know, that was, <laughs> a, that was sort of his tactic. And, um, but, and it like, I mean, those days when my brother Michael and I, who we both worked very hard and we worked well together for the most part, and then Christopher was a total slacker. Like at the end of the day, if my parents gave us all the same amount, I'd be furious. And even even though we didn't get paid for our work, we, we were allowed to live in the house. Um, uh, <laughs> even though we didn't get paid, like my brother and I would try to throw my bro- youngest brother under the bus. Like we'd be like, like, mom would be like, all right, do y'all want to go get ice cream? And we'd be like, yeah, we'd love to get ice cream. But, you know, Christopher didn't work very hard today. And <laughs> like, we would try to find some sort of, but it never worked. Like, he, of course, got the ice cream, and, and we'd have to find other ways to punish him. But um, but it, it, it was infuriating to see somebody who, who did so little, in my eyes, uh, get actually rewarded, right, rewarded. And, in fact, there have been times... Uh, one of the worst moments uh, of my academic career came in pre-K when um, um, I, I was used to getting lots of awards, as even in pre-K. And so I'd gotten up, like I'd got the spelling award and I got this award. And, and like I was on a real roll. And so for, I remember it was the numbers award. And I just thought it would be me. And so they said, Andrea, and it was a girl named Andrea Carruthers. And and who was sitting behind us. And so when they said, Andrea, I started to step out on the aisle and Andrea walked out and tripped over my leg going up the aisle on her way to get the award. And everyone, of course, thought that I had done it deliberately. Um, but uh, all that to say uh, that, that there was an expectation that, of course, uh, I would be uh, the winner. I would be rewarded. And the same with these guys, that there was an expectation of, well, if they're getting a denarius then we are going to do much better. This is going to be pretty, pretty, pretty good. 
right? This is going to be pretty great. And so when they get up there, they're they're excited, right? They're, they they want they want this pot of gold that, that they're about to get for all of their efforts, and they receive a denarius. Now here's the thing. Uh, what's their reaction? Not fair. This is not this is not just. This isn't the right thing. And yet the master makes an only one agreement with all of the laborers. And who is it? These guys, right? So, uh, lest they forget, um, after agreeing with the laborers, this is the first round. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. This is not the cry of the underpaid. They received their wage. They got what was coming to them. They got what they earned. Um, it's it's the cry of someone who thinks that something terribly um, unjust has happened. I deserve better. This is a huge problem with me. I always think that that I deserve better. Uh, in life. And uh, if you haven't read it already, it's kind of making its rounds on Facebook. Uh, the Huffington Post has a really great article on um, on why Generation Y is so unhappy. That's you. Um, and uh, and part of it is because uh, your parents, your parents are to blame. Um, and the article makes a really good point of, let's, let's talk about your parents for a minute, shall we? Mm-hmm. Not yours, Lauren, but just parents in general. So, um, our grandparents, and this would apply to my generation too, uh, but our grandparents, they grew up, Great Depression, World War II, right? And they uh, really did a good job of, of saving and impressing that upon our parents' generation. And they were the first generation, basically in the history of the world, to be able to retire, right? You know that, I mean, nobody retired before the 1960s. Right. Florida didn't exist, right? There was nowhere to retire. Like Boca Raton did, wasn't there. It just wasn't. Like it was actually all Seminole Indians and Spanish conquistadors in 1950 in Florida. So <laughs> it, it it just wasn't there. So and, I mean, what used to happen is that you worked until you could physically no longer work, and then you would move in with your kids, or you would move into an old folks' home or something like that. But this whole notion of retiring was foreign to the world. But they were able to actually save enough because it was a time of prosperity there in, in this country, not there, but here in America. And they gave birth to our parents, baby boomer generation. And what does every generation want for the next generation? More than they have. That's right. This, I want you to have it as good as we had it, if not better. Right. And guess what our parents did? They did it, right? They actually did just as well as, as their parents did actually a little bit better. Uh, And for them, they came along and took their jobs in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, which is the time of the greatest economic boom in the history of the world, right? And then we come along, and they want the same thing uh, for us. And to the extent that some parents try so hard that they accompany their children to job interviews and, um, uh, and write letters to prospective employers, um, uh, when I was in college, my mom uh, was once colluding with some other woman who had a niece from California doing an internship at a law firm in Warrenton, Virginia, uh, and they were faxing photos of one, us 
to one another, and it was just very awkward. And uh, and so my mom said, well, she really, she's an undergraduate right now, but she really wants to go to law school, and I'd love for you to, to take her. She's coming to Charlottesville, and I want you to take her around to UVA Law School. And, um, and I don't know if you know, like UVA Law School's top 10 law school. And, uh, and so I just imagined that, that, and she as where she went, she was, my mom said she, all I heard was Cal mumble, 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 mumble. And, uh, and so I thought, well, she gets to Cal Berkeley. She'll be, she'll be fine. And, and so I take her around. I actually called in a favor and she had a lunch meeting with the Dean of the law school. And, um, and afterwards I said, well, how did it go? And she says, well, I don't know. She goes, I think my GPA might be a little bit low. And I said, well, surely with the LSATs and stuff, you can, and she goes, well, she goes, it's a, it's a two, three. And I was like, okay, uh, not an art history major at Cal Berkeley. Um, and I said, uh, and then it turned out that she was like at Cal Chico State, um, which I'm sure there's nothing wrong with it. But, um, but it was just, anyway, it was a total debacle. Um, but she was feeling this, imme- I mean, immense pressure that she actually put herself through a lunch meeting, really an interview, with the dean of the University of Virginia Law School, knowing full and well, it ain't going to happen. Right? It just it isn't going to. Well, why? Because she felt so much pressure from her parents and from all those around her to be able to do that when, in fact, it wasn't a realized expectation, a realistic expectation. And so um, what our generation is finding is that um, it's really hard to get jobs out of school. Um, it's really hard to land um, the job that we really want. And even when we land the job that we really want, I've got buddies who got jobs at McKinsey and BCG and and out of school. That was the job you wanted. And now they're saying, um, I hate it. (laughs) Uh, Now what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And uh, it puts us in a scary position. And part of it is that we've had our expectations mismanaged. Because I don't know about you, but we were probably all told at some point in our lives, you are gifted. Right? And some of you may be gifted, but the reality is most of us are not. Right? My grandfather used to say, Andrew, you are unique, just like everybody else. So, <laughs> And um, uh, to the extent that, um, that even the education system in America changed in the 1980s. Do you know how many people scored a perfect, this was back when the perfect score for an SAT was 1600. Um, do you know how many people scored a perfect 1600 on the SAT in 1986? Of course you don't. 45, 45 people. Do you know how many people scored a perfect 1600 on the SAT in 1987? Just over a thousand. Because that was the year they changed the test where you could actually miss questions on the SAT and still get a perfect score. Uh, and um, it was the statistic is in 1950, um, 8% of teenagers thought of themselves as especially gifted. And in 1990, 80% of teenagers thought of themselves as especially gifted. Uh, so basically, we're all narcissists. <laughs> um, and uh, as, as depressing as all this is, uh, it's actually, um, it, we're, we're a lot like, because of what I'm saying really is that we're no different than these guys 2,000 years ago. We're all the guys who were standing in line expecting to get something just a little bit better because we think we've deserved it. And in the end, um, we actually get what we deserve, right? But it turns out that what we get is not, you don't get chipped, right? It's not like the master says, and now I shall pay you less, <laughs> right? You should just be grateful you have a job. No. Uh, the master gives uh, exactly um, 
what is agreed to, which is this wage. And um, Jesus also is putting, pushing on another bruise that all of us have, is it's hard for us not to equate human worth uh, with, with earning. Uh, I, I don't know about you, I feel a little bit better when I get a raise. Right? I feel a little more secure. Um, I think of myself as a little bit, um, not better as compared to other people, but now all of a sudden I think I'm a little bit more important. I drive a Dodge Stratus. You know? um, do you remember that skit from Saturday Night Live? So, um, uh, but you see what, what I mean? That, that it's sort of, I mean, but what's the end goal then in life? I mean, at some point, um, it's like when Rockefeller was asked, you know, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he says, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And I remember when I was at the church in Beaufort, my boss, the rector, came to me and he said, Andrew, I want you to know how much I appreciate you and your ministry here. And to that end, uh, bless you, uh, I'm giving you a new job title. You are no longer the assistant to the rector. You are the associate rector. I thought, all right. And then, so the nameplate on my door, there was another assistant on staff, my nameplate changed to associate rector, and he was the associate rector as well. But then I noticed the next day is his nameplate changed to senior associate rector. So I went to the rector and I said, how much did, did it cost to change those things? He says, it was like 40 bucks. I was like, next time, give me $40 when you feel like, I said, you know, some people need a new plaque. I need cold, hard cash. Like, just <laughs> put it right, right. That's how I feel appreciated, right? If, if you think I'm doing a good job, give me some money, right? Um, that, that speaks, speaks tons. And so uh, it's, it's hard for, uh, for, I mean, you know, it, people have exploited that DNA strand in our lives for years. So uh, there was a Canadian whiskey company that was really struggling. And uh, so somebody in marketing said, you know what, maybe we should try is let's actually increase the cost of our Canadian whiskey and put a nice velvety bag around it to give it the impression that it's worth more. And uh, and that company now is the largest Canadian whiskey company in the world. Crown. Crown Royal, right. Uh, when it's just crap. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's a terrible drink. And um, uh, but they are preying on our own uh, weakness, thinking like, oh, if it's if it's that much, it must be worth a little bit more. And it's hard for us not to think of that in terms of um, of human worth as as well. And uh, and there's a big debate about that right now in society as to you know a lot of bonuses that people receive. Um, um, I'd like a bonus like that, and I think I, I'm okay with it. But, uh, but you know, uh, there, uh, Carol and I were talking about uh, this space travel. Like, if you can cough up $125,000, you can go into space with Virgin Atlantic. And at what point, um, just $125,000, when does it become pocket change? You know, when does it become the equivalent of like, yeah, I can do that. That's in the budget, right? It's for some people, uh, it is when what Jesus is saying here is that um, when I look at you, right now let's let's turn the spiritual switch now. Uh, when I look at you and I call you, regardless of when I call you or from where I call you, my grace is just as plentiful to the person who has been a Christian since the womb. I mean, I really there are people who have never known a moment 
when they've never been a, when they've not been a Christian. You know what I mean? That like there's not a moment like, well, when did you become a Christian? Well, gosh, I've always been a Christian, right? That there's biblical examples of that. When Mary went to uh, visit um, uh, her cousin Elizabeth, she was pregnant with John the Baptist, and just upon hearing Mary's voice about being pregnant with Jesus, what did John the Baptist do? He leapt in his mother's womb, right? Believer, right? So he's he's okay, and um, right. But then there there and those, and then you have those who are who or who have deathbed confessions, or the person who has just lived a dastardly life, and they become a Christian on death row. And a lot of people will say, "That's not fair." I've been well behaved my whole life, and and they just become a Christian on death row right before they, you know, get the lethal injection, and 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 that's it. Because regardless of what people, there is no biblical um, backing for the idea that like when we get to heaven, my house is going to be bigger than your house, right? Or that, or that my my streets of gold driveway is going to be just a little shinier, you know? Uh, my gate's going to have a couple more pearls than your gate is. Uh, that's it's not not the way that it's going to be in heaven. That in fact, it's going to be like this. That uh, regardless of um, of your station life and where you're coming from, uh, everybody is in need of the same amount of saving as the other person. Right? It's not like if you're really good, you only need to be saved a little bit, but like death row guy really needs to be saved. But in fact, uh, sin is sin. That doesn't mean that there aren't temporal consequences for sin. Like clearly if if the worst thing you've ever done in the world is jaywalked, they're not going to execute you, <laughs> right? They might in some countries, but not in ours. Uh, and if you kill somebody, things aren't looking good for you in Alabama. So there are temporal consequences, but that that there's not an issue of where where God says, I don't really need to die for this sin. This isn't so bad, but I do need to die for this one. I need to die for all of them. Right, because all of them required Jesus to die on the cross, and that is um, that's unfair. I mean, you you may think, well, I think it's it's pretty fair because your testimony might be one that you were one of the people who was called at the eleventh hour. Uh, but for a lot of people, even in the church, uh, it's not fair. It's not fair. Um, Fitz Allison, who used to be. Uh, was the Bishop of South Carolina uh, and used to be the rector of Grace Church in Manhattan, which is a really lovely church right across the street from NYU. He had an amazing ministry there to college students. Paul Zoll was his assistant uh, back in the late 70s. Um, and um, they had a situation where a woman who was very active in the church uh, committed adultery with some other member of the church. And it was a very raw wound and it caused a lot of problems in the church. And then one day she came in and sat in Fitz's office and said, I've made a terrible mistake. I've made a terrible mistake. And um, I repent. And uh, it's just, I feel awful. But my biggest fear is how are people going to receive me here? I feel like I have to, I've been AWOL for about two months. I've not been around. And I just, every time I go into the church, even just to pray, 
I just feel like everyone's looking at me and judging me. And she acknowledged, like, it was right. Like, I mean, it, adultery is not a good thing, right? It's, it's, it, it destroyed two families in the process. And, and they were having communion that upcoming Sunday. And she said, I, I don't even feel comfortable coming up and, and taking communion. And Fitz said, look, I'm not going to battle with your conscience, but, but what I need to let you know is that Jesus died for you, uh, that his grace is sufficient even for Christians who have sinned. And, uh, and with that, uh, she went to church that Sunday and, and got up out of the pew and went forward and, and received communion. And as they went up in the line, there were some people that actually switched sides uh, to go and, and she received communion. And at the end of church, I mean, this one guy made a beeline to Fitz and was just like, how, how could you, how could you, how could you let her take communion? And, and Fitz tried to um, explain uh, the situation that, you know, look, I, I've spoken with her and, and she's more than welcome at, at the table. Uh, but it's hard for us to see uh, things from from God's perspective, and to see that uh, God is not in the business of fairness. Right? Thank God for that. Like, if we really got what we deserved, right? Paul said, "For the wages of sin is death. Like, we deserve to die, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." And so, what God does is um, He gives us this gift, and even in those times when uh, maybe our hearts cry out and say, "This is unfair," or maybe our we know that uh, we're the ones who are receiving gratuitous grace. Like we don't deserve to be loved the way that we're being loved. Uh, and that makes us feel uncomfortable. Uh, what we hold on to is, is not our sense of deserving or, or, or our worthness, uh, but in fact, uh, we hold on to the gift that God has given us. And Jesus says, it really doesn't matter a hill of beans what anybody else thinks. What matters is that you are mine and I've died for you and I've claimed you, and you're now my son or my daughter. And that makes all the difference, all the difference in the world. In fact, Jesus finishes up by saying, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I choose to you, as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Uh, Jesus is in the business of loving people with helicopter parents and who have mismanaged expectations and who think that they're gifted, but know deep down inside they're not. Right? And in some sense, in the world's eyes, and even in our own eyes, um, not one of us has looked in the mirror and thought, um, I wish I were different. I wish I were somebody else. I wish I were a little bit taller. I wish I were a baller. I'm just kidding. Uh, um, not one of us has, has thought that and um, has not thought that. And, uh, and yet, uh, that, is, that is a great place to be because that's when God acts, he just showers us with his mercy and grace uh, when we need it most, when we know uh, we're dead last because that's when God makes us first. Okay, questions, comments, concerns? Friday special. <laughs> Read that Huffington Post article. It's, it's pretty, it's, don't show it to your parents. It'll make them feel bad. But, um, but it's, it's pretty, it's, the, the equation I use is happiness equals uh, 
is it reality minus expectations? I think that's a happiness equals reality minus expectations, um, uh, which is a good formula because um, I have high expectations for me. Uh, so um, there you go. All right, is that it? Okay. What do y'all think about? Is, is are everybody working and going to be around next week, Thanksgiving week? Okay. We'll do Friday special with turkey instead of chicken. Just kidding. I don't think that's going to be around, is it, Caroline? Okay. All right. Isn't that gross? It's pretty gross. Yeah, I love it. I hate leftover turkey. Isn't that the worst thing in the world? Debatable. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a big leftover. Anyway, let's 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 pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us and you are in the business of choosing that which is last and making it first. And so, Lord, uh, in the midst of our lastness, uh, that you would impress upon our heart our firstness when it comes to your love and your grace and your generosity to us. In Jesus' name, amen.